Hello there. You are listening to the Idaho Basketball Coaching Podcast. My name is Will Love, and I'm the girls' basketball coach in Sandpoint. The purpose of this podcast is to talk about coaching basketball and to grow and celebrate the game in Idaho. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email me at idahobasketballcoachingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Just look for Coaching Idaho. Now, let's talk some basketball. We we're fortunate to have Max Standard on today's uh, podcast. Standard was uh, named the head boys coach at Burley High School recently. Prior to that, he was an assistant coach at CUNA and Eagle High, and he also coaches with Select Basketball. Standard is an alum when it comes to playing in Idaho as well, having graduated from Moscow, and he also played uh, college basketball. Coach Standard, thanks for talking some basketball with us today. How's everything going? Hey, it's going great. Appreciate you having me on. I've been following these podcasts. I've picked up some great things from some of the other coaches around the area. So really appreciate what you've been doing. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate uh, hearing that because that's the point of this. But, you know, it's just it shows what quality of coaches that we have here in Idaho with the people I've been able to talk to. You have a rich background involving Idaho basketball, playing at Moscow, as we talked about, and then also coaching in the Treasure Valley. Why was the Burley job one that you were interested in? So when I was in high school, my freshman and sophomore year, which was 06, 07, 07, 08, Burley, we saw them down in the state tournament. We luckily didn't play them, but Burley was tough. We had played both years. We played the game before them. We were on the other side of the bracket, and this was when the state tournament was over at College of Idaho. And after our games, Burley rolled in. Our games, you know, they're – Half the, half the crowd was filled up, you know, not too many people there. Atmosphere wasn't anything too crazy. Burley rolls in. There is a sea of green. I mean, there's standing room only. The gym is just electric. So we didn't know anything about Burley at the time, really. You know, it was, it's not a different time. Like, nowadays, everyone knows everything about every team. It's so much easier to watch film. Back then, you know, we see Burley has this great record. We don't – doesn't mean anything to us, really. So we sit and we watch them for a half, and, and those teams both years were just – they were tough. They did everything right. You could tell by the way they caught the ball and moved the ball, the way that they talked on defense. I mean, they, they were on this different level, and they ended up winning state both those years. They lost one game in two years. I mean, that's the Burley that I remember. And we at Moscow, we went third and fourth in state, respectively, those years. And I remember thinking to myself, watching them like – I don't know how we would beat these kids. Like they were, they were just on this other level. So Burley, I mean, having seen that, that's the Burley that I know. That's the Burley that I remember. Since then, I haven't really seen Burley. So I, I know Burley at their at their peak, back to back state champs, and then the opportunity to take over that program and be involved with that rich history was, I mean, it was a no brainer. I, I think it's awesome just to look back at, that I'm a part of those teams and part of that history. I, I think it's awesome. Yeah, I was actually working as a reporter, a sports reporter at that time, and I got to cover those Burley teams. And <laughs> those teams were fun fun to watch. Those were really, really good teams. And then uh, as a coach this year, we got to play Burley in the first round. Fortunately, we, uh, we snuck away with a, with a one-point victory. Um, but you're right, uh, the Burley crowd travels well. Uh, there's a lot of basketball tradition, both on the boys and the girls side. I mean, it's, it, it has to be cool to be part of that now. Oh, yeah. You uh, got enough green? 
<laughs> no, no, I do not. I honestly, I, I did, I didn't own green anything. Like St. Patrick's Day hits every year, and I'm struggling. So I've been at the stores. I'm getting, I'm getting equipped. I'm ready to go now. Yeah, one of the, you know, just a, a short story here. One of the cool things was, you know, Burley was our opening round opponent this year at the 4A state tournament. And uh, so obviously, as you said, film is readily available. So we had all kinds of film of Burley at home. And they've got that cool court with uh, the Snake River going through yeah. and stuff like that. So, you know, that's going to provide you some landmarks to kind of tell kids where to go. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So it's been a crazy time for all coaches, but I can't imagine what it's like to be a new head coach and moving to a new community and stuff like that. So what are some, some of the issues that have come up with our current situation? Yeah, uh, crazy summer, obviously. And luckily, I kind of knew that it wasn't going to be a normal summer getting into it. When, when I was at CUNY before I came to Burley, the coach and I, we, we had sat down. We were thinking, like, gosh, we're not going to get into this tournament. We're not going to be able to do this. We, we had a feeling we'd be limited. And I, I kind of had the same feeling once I actually got to Burley. The good thing was we were able to get some things done. But like you were saying, just there was a lot of change. I felt like almost every other day I'm texting my kids, telling them, actually, we got to change this. We can't practice this day. We, are, we had games that got canceled numerous times. Filling a summer schedule was pretty difficult. And, and we even ran into a situation where one of our coaches was sick. We had a fever. And we had practiced the day before. So we had to, we had to cancel everything until his test results came back. Luckily, they were negative. But, I mean, there was just a lot of hoops to jump through. On the other hand, you did get to play a little bit. What were some of the things that you saw that you liked as a, as a new coach coming in? Yeah, l luckily we were. We, our varsity team got 11 games in, so I, I really can't complain too much. That's more than a lot of teams around the state did get in. So we were able to get in the gym. I got to see my team. And the first thing that stood out, it, it was tough playing in July. You're missing a lot of kids. You know, a lot of kids are working at this point. A lot of kids already had vacations where they're trying to do stuff. Football kids are obviously extremely busy at that time. So we, we never were full strength all summer, which is a little bit difficult. But the kids I had, they came in. The kids that were available were there every single day. They were ready to work. And in games, the biggest thing I was able to pick up is these kids just compete, and they play extremely hard. And as a first-year coach or any coach, when you have a group that works hard and plays hard and they genuinely like each other as well, we got some stuff we can build on there. Yeah, you know, that's great that you got uh, a foundation to start with and, and you're able to go. And then also, you know, uh, a lot of us coaches pride ourselves on, hey, we're done with our high school summer season at the end of June. You guys could have the rest of the time. And now all of a sudden we're like, hey, we're going to probably have some games in July and stuff like that. So that made it kind of tough. Yeah, I, I tried every week to try to get us if we didn't have games that weekend try to get them out of thursday and thursday was our last day so they could have these vacations we went right through the fourth of july so we gave them five days there just it would it would be asking a lot of the kids and their parents they'd all been stuck inside for so long during the quarantine period that they wanted to get out and do stuff and be in the gym yeah i mean being the gym's great i know some of them love it but parents have other things they want to do with their kids as well so we try to be mindful of that yeah, there's a lot of great things to do in the outdoors here in Idaho, you know, and this is the perfect time to do it. So one of the things you're talking about, kind of that tradition, and, and you have three former Burley players on your staff. So what have they been able to do to help you learn about what you need to do, build the program and then also what you need to do, what the community is going to be expecting from you? 
Yeah, which, which is awesome. So three players. I have one that played in the early 90s, one in the early 2000s, one in the early 2010s. So we're, I'm, we're covering every decade here with these guys. And all three of them had a lot of success as players. One has been coaching forever. He was part of those back-to-back state championship teams in the 2007-2008, as well as he won a state championship back in 92. So, I mean, these guys have been around it. They've They've seen Burley at their best. They've seen Burley at their worst. Luckily, they were mostly on the high end, and they bring with them just this tradition. I mean, it's me not being from Burley, and I've never really spent any time in Burley before I took this job. I don't know much about the community. I don't know much about past players and past coaches. These guys are constantly filling us in, and they're they're letting me know. They like to talk to the kids about how Burley used to be, and they they also bring with them just these ideas like this really worked with these, these kids back then. It's the same type group of kids, so we like to try to implement some of the other stuff that Burley's been doing in during their past success. And then, of course, the community. I've been told, I can't even tell you how many times, that Burley is just this basketball community. And luckily, having three coaches that have been around Burley, have been in Burley, they know everybody in the community, it seems like. So they've been really helpful with me meeting people along the way and who to get involved with as far as fundraising and things like that. Well, two important check marks there that one, you got people that know the community and, and two, they've been involved with the community. And then also the other check mark, they've got a history of coaching. You know, it's it, it's one thing to, to join a new program and then have to teach young coaches how to coach. But if you got coaches that have already been through the been through the grind, that that makes it uh, that much better. Oh, yeah. They make my life really easy. So speaking of a basketball community, I mean, I see photos from events that happen in Burley and they, and they fill that gym with little kids. So what's the youth program situation there and what will be your role going forward with the junior high and club programs that Burley has? Yeah, so I haven't got to work with them yet. It starts in the fall, but what I've been told is what we've been doing for the last couple of years is we have skills clinics we put on a couple times a week throughout the fall for a few months. And it's an opportunity for younger kids in the community to come in and they get to hear from myself, my other coaches, as well as the players. And I've, I've heard the kids just love it. I mean, they, they got to be around the varsity kids. They're going to the games anyway. They got to be up close and personal and get to know these kids, which is awesome. I mean, it's, it's good to have that support and get kids involved from a coaching aspect. It's good that they can kind of get some of the terminology that I have, you know, so we don't have to reteach that. They can see some of the stuff that we do, some of the skill building stuff I do with my older groups so that they can start doing that at a younger age. So once they're here, I mean, their footwork's right. They're passing the ball correctly, things like that. So things that it kind of just gives us a nice little head start with the younger crew. And same with, with the middle school, the kids that have been coming up. Obviously, we don't have any vertical alignment at this point because I, I do stuff a lot different than our previous coach did. But – I want to be really hands-on with that seventh and eighth grade crew. I want to try to get to a practice or two, and I've invited their coaches, and they're interested in coming and watching us practice. So they can see the way that we do shell drill, for instance, how we communicate, what my expectations are. And if you can, you can figure that out at a younger age, get that vertical alignment, it makes – I mean, they're making the most of their time when they get up to me. Yeah, for sure. One of the things that uh, we're going to do is typically we meet in sep- starting in September once a week, uh, me and the rest of my coaching staff. But this year, what we're going to do is we're going to invite those junior high coaches so that they can sit in on the meeting. Uh, they can see how we're planning. And then also they can give uh, some input on, on, hey, this is what uh, you have coming up. Maybe think about doing this in the future. 
getting everybody on the same page. It just makes life easier. I mean, their kids are coming up, so we can all be doing the same thing. If I'm playing man and my seventh grade team only plays zones, we're not really benefiting each other. Definitely. What have you been doing to assess what you have there at Burley? So, I mean, like players to facility to even just like how many basketballs that you have. How have you been approaching that? It's been so as soon as I got the job, I mean, everyone's I've had so many people reach out in the community, people that I don't know, you know, just to let me know that we have this resource for you and whatnot. Everyone's been super helpful there. When I got the job, my AD walked me through the building and showed me everything I needed to see. A couple of days later, our former coach, Coach Whiting, did the same thing with me. So I got my second tour, and then my two of my assistants did the same thing with me. So, I mean, I, I mean, everyone's just been trying to be as helpful as they can with me. I, I feel 100% comfortable with the facility now, how to get in the building. My first time trying to get in there, I broke a key off in the door, <laughs> which is pretty embarrassing. So I'm figuring things out. They've, everyone's been so helpful there. And as far as, as far as the players that I have – Luckily, my staff, I kept almost identical to the staff we had last year. So these guys have worked with these, with, with these kids. I only have two returning varsity kids. So one of my assistants was the head JV coach. He's coached all these kids. Another one of our JV assistant coaches, he coaches kids in club growing up that are all seniors now. So they know about these kids. I can – when I got the job, I was given access to huddle for varsity, JV, and freshmen. So I was able to really watch – kind of see which kids I liked, what they did. So I already had my opinions on them. But then kind of just to cross-analyze it with the staff. And they know more about these kids personally as well. Like, hey, he can be coached this way, he can't. They know more that type stuff than I do. I can see what they do well on the court, but they knew what their personality was like, things like that, which has been super helpful for me to get informed on. Yeah, what a great resource to, to have. Uh, one of the things that's changing a little bit, I guess, you know, we have to wait and see what our season looks like. But um, I know that there used to be that super league of like 10 teams uh, down there. And now that's kind of changed. I was talking to Coach Schuler at, at Century and he was talking about it's been kind of difficult to put together a schedule. So, so what's your schedule look like for next year? And then ultimately, like, what do you want to get out of your schedule, especially like those non-league games? Yeah, so our schedule was built before I got here, so I didn't get much of a say in it. So the three teams that left were Century, Pocatello, and Preston. And, and Preston's been running the 4A for the last five years. So having them out of the conference, I, I had no complaints about. <laughs> Pocatello and Century are always extremely solid teams too. So we lost three good teams, three quality teams out of the conference, which as far as – I mean, it makes life easier. Well, let's just call it what it is. But – as far as our schedule goes, it didn't really change anything because we play all three of those teams in a home and home. So, yeah. so it really didn't change anything for me there. The games just don't mean anything as far as districts are concerned. Gotcha. But, I mean, if I were to put a schedule together, I always want to play the best teams non-conference. Like, I don't really like a warm-up game or anything like that. I, I want to play the best teams around the state. Playing those three teams twice a year is, I mean, that's, at the 4A level, that's about as good as you can get, honestly. Yeah. With your connections in the Treasure Valley, will you look to maybe get some games there or keep yourself kind of a secret till the, till the state tournament? I, I would like to. I mean, the Middleton tournament that's going on, I, I'm pretty bummed that we're not going to be able to be there with those teams. Um, I wouldn't mind getting CUNA on a schedule at, at some point once, once their former coach and I have kind of done our different things so we're not basically playing the same team. But – 
I got some friends coaching in the Treasure Valley that I would love to go get games with. I think it would be awesome. So start talking a little bit of X's and O's and, and, and your ph- philosophy. How long had you been kind of thinking or planning about being a head coach? Has this been something on your mind that you were starting to put together stuff, you know, a while ago? Or it was like, uh, maybe I'm going to start uh, start looking for a head coaching opportunity now. Yeah, the, la- the last two years when I was the CUNA assistant coach, I have been putting – I have my own folders. I've, I'm taking things of practice that I like that that coach has done, the coach Longo has done. I've taken sets that I like, things like that. I had been planning for it for a while. And my, my plan was when, whenever I get an opportunity, I want to have everything ready to go as much as possible. So, yeah, it's absolutely been on my mind. And I've already been – you know, I have bits and pieces that I like. I've seen things that I don't like. Obviously, I have my own identity. But there is – I mean, coaches always take things from other coaches. So I've taken some stuff that I liked from Middleton, and I've written it down. Some stuff that BK's done, I've taken some of their stuff, written it down. We didn't use them at CUNA but I have those readily available for me now that it's my own program. So do you have a plan on how you're going to kind of install this? Cause I think, you know, one of the things is obviously you're a new coach different from the previous coach. Burley also loses a pretty dominant player that's going to be going to Boise state. So, you know, I'm guessing a lot of things were geared around him. So, I mean, I guess, are you kind of thinking about like the process of installing this and not trying to overload the kids? Yeah, and when I when we had our rough draft schedule for summer ball, I had a, a plan ready for how what we were going to get implemented and when. And with with all the change with practice, kind of got kind of went up in flames, to be honest. But we, Coach Whiting and I, we're we're really opposites. I'm not saying one way is right, one way is the other, but he's a pack line guy. I like to force force baseline. So right there, that's a huge adjustment for kids, just footwork wise. So we had to spend a ton of time in shell, ton of time doing closeouts, things like that. And we really want to just hammer that idea home before we jumped into anything else. We only, we only played man this whole, this whole summer. We'll have a zone ready. We'll have multiple presses, things like that. But we just stuck to the basics there. On the offensive end, last year, the Burley ran a ton of sets to get Jace the ball. And you got a kid that's scoring 25 points. You know, that's how basketball works. The best player gets the ball. With this crew that I have right now, we have a lot of guys. I couldn't even tell you who our leading scorer is going to be. I don't even really have a guess. We have a lot of guys that can do a lot of different things well in the offensive end. So we're going to be built more around a motion offense where it's equal opportunity. So a lot of the kids, some of the kids are on varsity. Well, they didn't get the ball a ton because they had to focus on their best player. They have a much larger role now, and I, I think they're excited for that opportunity. And they're, I mean, they're doing everything in their power to make the most of it. All right. And your first response when I sent you some pre-production questions dealt with uh, defense, particularly as you talked about being disruptive on the defensive end. So what are some of the big concepts when it comes to your defensive defensive philosophy? We just want to be relentless in our ball pressure. So anytime we want that ball picked up on a miss, we want it picked up right at half court. We want our guards up there. When when I got the job and I was watching Huddle, I had a senior on JV and a senior, a 2B senior on varsity. I watched both those kids in multiple games press man-to-man by themselves. The rest of the team's playing normal man. They pressed. And that, that was just a green light to me right there, that what we did at CUNA I could carry over. I have two kids already, seniors, that are just bought into being disruptive on the defensive end. So with, with Burley, we're small. 
uh, we, we don't have much size. So our guards, we have some really good on-ball defenders. The challenge for them is to keep the ball as far away from the rim as possible. We can't let teams get comfortable on the offensive end, run their best sets, dump it into a post, things like that. Because so we're going to be in trouble. We're going to have to double. So our, our main philosophy is to push that ball out. Never let the offensive guards – don't let them get comfortable. Don't let them come down and dictate what they want to do. We always want them pushed away. And with that, with that constant pressure, you're going to get beat sometimes. We have good on-ball defenders, but you're going to get beat. So the team defense aspect is we always have someone sliding over to take a charge. We always have someone jump switching and attacking that ball. And our big thing with when we jump switch, we don't wait for the offensive player to come to us. We go attack the dribble. So they're constantly feeling us in their face. And we have – we have plenty of depth. I think it's going to work well for this team, guys that we can cycle through, a lot of guys that want to be disruptive and really want to get after the ball handlers. So what did it look like this summer in the games that you did get to play? I mean, are they, are they, are they learning what you want them to do? Yeah, absolutely. So it was a process. I mean, our, first, our first tournament we played, and we played three games in a day, and they were used to kind of just picking up the ball at the three-point line you know, just waiting and kind of that fundamental man-to-man, build a wall. So it, it was a bit of a process for them to get switched to it. But the mindset, it didn't take long for it to get bought in. So in any make, you guys are picking up full court man-to-man. And if you are off the ball, if you're not on the ball handle, you got to be what we call the midline. You're ready to jump switch anytime that they're beat. So everyone's watching. Because I'm, if I'm asking one of my guys to pick up 90 feet, and apply this tremendous ball pressure, he's going to get beat sometimes, but he's going to lose confidence if he doesn't have guys yelling, switch, 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 things like that. And this last little bit we played two weekends ago at Wendell was our last tournament of the summer. I really saw some of it coming together. We were, you could see teams couldn't run sets against us. They were really struggling there. We had teams forced, pushed away from the rim. And then you could even see in the scores – we got some compliments from some coaches and you're holding some teams to seven points and a half. And so you can start seeing our guys just, just taking pride in what they're doing. That's, that's the main thing. I know they can do it, but they're starting to really buy in on the defensive end. So what were some things that you did at CUNA to get those kids to buy in? I mean, what, like what's the coaching aspect? Uh, how are you encouraging the kids and what drills are you using? So coach Longwood was always a defensive first coach. He's a, he's a big defensive guy. He does a great job with it. But with, with that group, it all started in the summer. We played a summer ball tournament. We had two returning varsity players on our team for varsity. Those two kids were football kids, and they missed our first tournament. So we went into a summer ball tournament with, with zero varsity experience, and we could not score the ball. Uh, we, we, we knew we had to do this on the defensive end. We played, we played an Eagle team. And it's summer ball. I know better than to read too much in a summer ball. No one's really ready to play, especially first tournament. But what we saw from it was we, we told them just to pick up full court man-to-man. And we told them just to get after them. And we ended up beating an Eagle team we had no business beating just, just by forcing turnovers and getting runouts. After the game, one of their assistants, he, he came up to us and said, yeah, you're, you're boys, you have some dogs on that team. And we told, we told the kids, and you could just see their eyes light up. And they, it, just, it really didn't have anything so much to do with us, but our identity was built from there. We had a zone defense. We ended up calling dog throughout the season. These kids were just, they were all about it. It was a lot of it was personality with that crew. In our drills, we do a lot of stuff where instead of keeping track of points, we keep track of stops. So it was the first team to a certain number of stops. Along with that, 
is if we're doing shell, we're doing two on two, one on one, you can't get off the court until you get a certain number of stops. We, something we're gonna be doing in Burley, we've done it a few times this summer, we do what's called a perfect possession shell on four on four. And it's, you know, you put three minutes on the clock, you're defending until everything is perfect. And we have coaches watching just the most particular things. Your hand wasn't up high enough on a closeout, not perfect, even if you get a stop. So it, it just drove home that. But a lot of it was, man, these kids wanted to defend. And I see a lot of that as well in Burley, which is, which is great. And to build, I mean, just being a hype man for it too. It, you could, the kids take pride in it, but to let them know. We would tell them a lot of times after a game, say, hey, did you notice that their point guard wasn't even bringing the ball up the court in the fourth quarter? You guys have, you guys have broken him down. He had wanted nothing to do with you guys anymore. And just trying to do anything we can to get them excited about it. No, I think uh, once kids uh, learn that defense is cool, then yeah. they, start to, they start to buy into it and realize uh, what a weapon it can be. So uh, just uh, I, I've been talking to a coach, and, and I was just wondering, you know, how you, how you would coach this is that, uh, you know, so much of basketball now is, is, uh, is drive and then kick. And so what we see a lot of is drawing that help side uh, over, and then we've got somebody wide open on the three-point line. So how do you defend that? Are, are you going to have that kid come over quickly and let them shoot the three, or, or are you going to rotate? What, what's the situation there? We, we teach stunt and recover out of the corner. So it's, it's a quick stunt. You show yourself and you get back. We hope that if we can – that buys you a half second for the on-ball defender to recover, and that's our philosophy there. Some, I mean, but at the same time, you got to read it. And I've told our kids this too. I mean, if, if he's two, I mean, two steps behind the kid, you got to switch. You got to come over and take the thing. And I don't think there is a right answer to it because I, I watched this in the summer sometimes. Okay, that was a great – stunt recover but we still gave up a layup so I'm not here you know why didn't we step over and take a charge I mean it's it's tough to have it both ways but I think if you just find which one you want and drill it and get it to be the best that it can be I think that's as much as you can ask out of it yeah I guess I uh, got to remember that it's basketball and not soccer so you know teams are going to score Yep. Uh, so I uh, actually wanted to talk to you a little bit about your zone defense once you get that implemented. Like what, what are some of the principles and concepts there that, uh, that you'll be teaching? Yeah, so we, we ran a matchup zone in CUNA, and, and we had a ton of success with it. We put it in the first place because we, we were small, and we knew we had to get after teams. And it kind of similar to the same situation I have at Burley here. So that's why I think it will be implemented here once we get to the fall season. What it was – is on any miss we went into it so we didn't run it on any makes just on misses so we go right into it where it's different is we have what's called an up guard and a down guard so our up guard he picked up the ball at the opposite three-point line so wherever the guard was he was always feeling pressure the other guard would get to half court so it's a lot different we did get burned in transition a few times we'd have to adjust but for the most part we were pretty successful with it and the idea is that just like with a man-to-man press that we're putting in that guard is just relentless with pressure he's getting after him he will get beat but those two guards are interchangeable so that's where our jump switches would come from and anytime we jump switch again we are attacking the ball once they get down to our half of the court we have one of them at the free throw line so he's taking away the high post and the other's on the ball we're trying to cut half of the court so we're trying to force them either to the right or to the left so we only have to guard one half is our philosophy there teams it's kind of a gimmick zone we, we saw just about every formation possible and we'd have to adjust and it took some time but 
the main idea was of it was just to get after these guards, just to make life difficult for them. And we have two guys just constantly attacking them. The three guys on the bottom, their jobs were a little bit different. They weren't quite as aggressive. But, in, like, any ball screen, we're just – we're jumping it hard. And we had so much success that we forced so many turnovers. We won every game but one this whole season. We won the turnover margin. And it was just because we had kids that were bought into it and that just loved making life difficult for guards. I was at a basketball coaching camp at Gonzaga. This was uh, probably eight years ago now. But uh, Ray Giacoletti, when he was still an assistant at Gonzaga, was there, and, and he came out and gave a presentation on defense. And, and you know, he, he just made the point, hey, if you can get the ball out of their point guard's hands, that's a win for you right there. You know, you might not force the tor- turnover, but it's a win because somebody else has to get them into the offense, and that can mess things up. And I've found that to be the case, especially in high school basketball. Absolutely. And the thing, the thing with it, we, we saw teams run zone offense against it. We see teams run a man offense, but they could nev- the timing in their sets was just never right. So a lot of times the games that we would lose, it was because they just were better. They, they found the hole in it. They made shots, things like that. They were good on that night. But it was never because they were comfortable running set after set and really getting what they wanted to do. Uh, I also think you make a good point with that, with that uh, defense that you ran uh, as far as the zone is that you got to be aggressive with it. You got to pick up. If, if you're going to come back and sit around the three-point line, it's going to be – you're going to face some teams where it's going to be a long night for you, and you really got to – you got to get those kids to believe on the defensive end. They can dictate what happened. Yeah, and it just goes with what we're trying to – preach man-to-man as well that's why it's such an easy transition why I think we didn't get it in this summer but I think we'll be fine getting it in the fall because it's the same type principles you know we're jump switching we're constantly attacking the ball just things like that so I think the adjustment should be there once our mindset is is built and ready to go let's talk a little bit about uh, offensive end and you already said that you're going to run a motion so so what's that going to look like what are some of the key principles going to be there so it's a ton ton of ball screens so what we've decided as a staff is we, we think our best chance to collapse a defense is with the ball screen. Instead of just spreading it out, letting our guys drive, we have one kid we can throw it into who can play with his back to the basket, but even he likes to play on the perimeter. So we don't have a, a huge – he is a threat when he's down there, but it's not this 6'8 kid that we want to play through. So we want to get him touches out. We want him shooting threes as well. So what it is, it's a four-out, one-in we have a post that's set in screens and we, we spend so much time on how to screen, how our screener can read the screen. We have three different types of screens for him to run and we have all these different actions once he does roll, if we can get the ball into him. As for our guards, the big thing this summer was we spent all our time how to set up a screen, how to come off it properly and how to read it once you're coming off. What is the defense doing? Most teams that we play, they have one way of guarding a ball screen. You know, every, some teams, once you get into season, they challenge you, they'll do different things to certain players. But right now is one team's doing one thing. And we feel like we have an answer for what they're doing for the most part. So we think, yeah, some teams do a really good job and they say, okay, now we have to adjust. For the most part, we think we can adjust to whatever they're doing. The other big thing that we've been harping on is just spacing the floor, having proper spacing, having guys lifting out of the corner when the ball screen's on that side other guys getting away when the ball screen's coming at you and always being ready to shoot the ball. Once that defense, if we can collapse that defense, we have some guards that do a great job of it. 
It's not necessarily about you getting a shot in the lane, but once you spray that thing out, we've created these long closeouts, and now it's time to play basketball. Now you're getting yourself to the rim, one more passing, things like that. So that's kind of our philosophy there. Our adjustment we have is we also do it from a five-out standpoint where we have certain guys are screeners, certain guys screen this way, certain guys slip every time. And, it's, and that one's just all about pace. Just a change of pace here, it really opens up the lane and that creates some driving lanes for us that way. You know, one of the things about this podcast is pretty niche, you know, coaching basketball at Idaho. So probably coaches listening to this, uh, you talked about how you're teaching uh, the, the ball screen. What are, what are the ways that you're doing it? So the first thing we do is we just do garbage can stuff. So just guys getting, getting all the reads down without a defense there. The first, the most important thing we, we preach to them is how to set up a ball screen properly. So bigger guards, yeah, they might want to just back their defender down. But the important thing is you have to get your defender below the screener. So in this case, the garbage can, you have to get him physically below it. So once you, co- once you start coming off that thing, the easy thing for the defender to do is to go under the screen. That's what we want. And I've given them the green light. I say, if they're going to go under screens, I've got enough confidence in you guys to stop. That's a good shot for us. Knock the three down. Once we, once we get that thing set up and you get ready to come off the screen, we take what's called a control dribble. So it's the first dribble after you've got your defender below the screen. And that's when you really are reading what's going on. Is the hedge, are they hard hedging? Is the guy already out there? Is there a slip opportunity? What are they doing? And we go through all these different reads without a defense. We say, okay, they're hard hedging. Our two options are we get over the top of the hedge and throw it back, or we can split. We go, they're flat hedging. Okay, now you, get, you keep your man on your hip, and you're going one-on-one with a big. Go at the rim, try to make a play. We have options where we refuse the screen, and then how to attack if they're switching. So we feel like we, we try to cover all the bases so that once we do see it, we have it ready to go. Once, we, once we've gone through all that, we do it in a live situation, three on three, and we just work one half of the court. So we put a guy, we put an offensive player in the corner, a guy setting up the ball screen on the wing, and then a screener. And so we, we have our defense try to mix up what they're doing. We can hard hedge, we can flat hedge, we can switch, we can trap, whatever the case may be. We want our guys to be able to read it. Once we get through that, then we'll build it out to the five-on-five five and we'll run it, run it live in a half-course set. One thing that was super beneficial for us this summer is we didn't run any sets all summer. So all 11 games that we played, I just made them grind through this. Just, I mean, figure out what they're doing and find a way. We did a – Manico came over to our gym, which is our rival, which was awesome to have him there, and we did a controlled scrimmage with him. And – they ran a ton of ball screens. We ran a ton of ball screens. And it was – I mean, we must have ran about 150 ball screens in, in one night. Our, you know, our kids are exhausted, but you start to see them – our kids figuring it out. You know, we ran the same exact thing five times in a row. It didn't work. Okay, now what? Okay, now instead of sending a normal screen, we're going to twist it or we're going to slip, things like that. So I started to see our boys communicating with each other and really figuring out what's going on and how to attack it. Yeah, I think uh, to the layperson, you know, just run a ball screen, you know, and, and it's like it, that takes a lot of work <laughs> to teach kids yeah. the right reads and, and you got two people working on it and stuff like that. I, I know when I, yeah, when I first became a coach when I was young, I, I thought that's how I would teach it too. I was like, it's a ball screen, you know, just do something with it. But they, I've been watching other coaches that really break down the details. There is so much that goes into it. And if you have a team that can really do it well, it's, it's tough to guard. 
What are some things that you're doing to teach your kids toughness? Because I know that that's one of the one of the the concepts that uh, you want, or one of the pillars you want part of your program. So what are you doing? So with with toughness, like obviously we talk about it's one of our season goals. Every time we take the core, our goal is to be the tougher team. But I mean that's just that's just talk. It's easy to say. You know, kids hear me, but they aren't really listening to what I'm saying. Um, what we do, we do it in practice. And we didn't get too much into it this summer, unfortunately. New, new coach, you know, part of me wants to come in gung-ho, like my way or the highway type deal. But the bottom line is I got to get to know these kids first. You know, we got we to gotta build some trust before I start diving into how we're going to be this super tough team. But what we'll do come fall, a ton of one-on-one stuff where you have to get a certain number of stops. And, and you, you don't get off until you do things right, where it's, it's, it's you. You know, you don't have anybody helping you at that point. You gotta, you gotta be tough to get yourself off the court. We also do a lot of two on two, a lot of two on two closeouts, two on two rebounding. We play it through the net, and you that builds toughness right there. Anytime there's a bucket, two on two, the offensive team's still going. So you don't get off until you find. Well, you still got to box out even when they make, even when they make it. Things like that, and it's the same type of principle. You only get off when you do it properly, and. Yeah, kids don't like it, but part of coaching is you got to make kids uncomfortable. They got to learn how to be comfortable when they're uncomfortable. So our coaching staff, we've talked about how we're going to do this in the fall, one-on-one, two-on-two, four-on-four, whatever the case may be. But we want all our drills to be competitive. And with all of it, you have to do something to get yourself off the court. What about kind of the mental side? I know being out on the court, that does have mental aspects to it, but there's so many great resources out there. And I think like next week, we're supposed to have Alan Stein on to kind of talk about his book and, and toughness and stuff. So like, like, is, is that a factor or going to be part of your program as well as kind of, kind of that, that learning aspect? Yeah, we, we want to have that in and I, we haven't quite figured out how we're going to, what we're going to do to get that involved. I, I've read Alan Stein's book and I've actually, I've thought about the idea of getting that to the kids and having them read through some of that stuff. It's a great resource. And it's something even that comes in my mind when I'm doing stuff on a daily, um, in my daily life. But we, I mean, anything we can do like we talk about it during games like if everyone's out of shape in the summer we're tired what's the first thing that goes well communication is not there anymore we're not talking on defense we're not showing our hands and it's just constant reminders telling them that we know we're, we're tough in this and getting them prepared for those situations once we actually run into them during the season well good news for you is that that's exactly what I'm going to talk to Alan Stein about is like incorporating his book into a program. So, so uh, be sure to listen to that one. I like uh, my kids listen to that. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited about it. You did talk about communication. So what are some things that you picked up in your coaching experience and then also your playing experience? Cause you played college and, and uh, were successful at high school. What are some things that you've learned about getting kids to communicate on the, on the basketball floor? You know, that was the first thing that hit me when I took this job our first couple weeks in is that this team just did not talk. There was just such a lack of communication. So part of it is we try to build it off the court. You know, I I like to put our kids in charge of communicating out to their parents. So I let them know stuff. They're in charge of that. When we try to get workouts together, I'll pick a couple kids and say, okay, you're in charge of getting everybody into the gym. So we we want to try to just build those lessons outside of the court. On the court during practice, we took this from C of I and Coach Blaine, is when we, when we have a break, when we have a water break, and we go shoot free throws, we tell our teams to huddle up. And we, we leave them completely alone while they're doing that. We let them 
let them talk about whatever it is that I actually don't really know what it is they talk about, but they sometimes they'll sit there for almost three minutes talking and, and it, that's great. You know, the more talk, the better. I'm not going to get mad about that. And you can start to see who the leaders are on the team, who's stepping up and who's talking. And, you know, we start to see that during, and we, we just preach it during drills as much as we can as well. Like, well, we're talking about that def- perfect defensive possession. Well, you got to stop. You closed out fine. You forced baseline, but no one's talking. It's, it's not good enough. You got to go again. And we're and kids kids will start to buy into that once they have to do things over and over just because they're not talking. The the tough thing that I'm still figuring out is once we are tired, how do we keep them talking? <laughs> that's just I think that's a lot of just that mental toughness we're talking about. I think once we get to the fall and we start really building that in. Because, man, we start grinding some of these games out and there's, there's nobody talking at this point. Everyone's <laughs> worried about how tired they are. So, I mean, we're doing what we can. We'll do it in drills. Whenever we call a timeout, I like to have the kids talk, say, hey, what are you seeing? Once they're on the bench, ask them the same stuff. Just get them thinking a little bit, a little bit outside the box. Anything like that I think will help us. Yeah, one thing that we were experimenting with this summer is that uh, basically like in our shooting drills, we would take uh, three spots uh, on the floor and then we'd have a kid underneath who would direct the shooter to go to one, two or three, you know, and then uh, we would do this for a minute so that that kid would get tired. But if the person that was yelling out the number didn't say anything, then that shooter didn't know where to go. And so things would kind of break down. And so, you know, I, I don't know if that's going to help, uh, but um, it did get some kids that don't normally say anything doing some things. And it kind of actually, uh, I think, helped out the shooters too, because they had to they had to wait to kind of hear where they needed to go next or they were putting the shot up and then, you know, hey, you got to go here and stuff like that. No, yeah, I like that a lot. That's a, that's a great idea. I really appreciate your time. I got uh, I got one more question for you. I could talk to you for a long, long time, but uh, we'll you know cut it off here with this last question. So, what does a successful first season look like to you? I mean, that's that's a great question. So, me, I, I'm not a big believer in measurable goals. I, I just never have been. I remember being a high school player myself, and and having you know we make these season goals as far as wins and losses like so what's your goal well is to win districts what's your other goal well is to win the state championship it's hard for me to say anything different you know I we, we did that our junior year and we didn't even get out of districts we were we won nine games and we're still our season goal is to be the state champs we weren't even close to it and I think that's just the competitive part of myself and I hope my kids feel the same way is I don't want to put you know if we don't make it to state our season wasn't a success you know, if we don't win 20 games, now our season, we, we weren't successful this year. So I, I just don't believe in that aspect of it. The thing, the thing that I do believe in is if we can just maximize our potential, you know, and I, I think with this crew, we have a chance to be a really good team, but I don't want to put extra pressure on them as far as a certain goal. But if we can work hard, you know, we have three goals in this crew on this team. You know, one of them, we're the tougher team every game. We play hard for each other every game. And then in practice, we get 1% better every single day. And they're super generic goals. But if we can improve every day and we can play hard for each other and we're the tougher team, I think wins will start taking care of themselves. We can start maximizing that potential. All right. Like any good coach, I lied and I got one more thing. What's it been like for you? I mean, just I, I, you must be just really, really excited to get to get going and be in this position. Yeah, it, I'm I'm going kind of crazy right now, to be honest, because summer ball is over and I have to wait 
you know, all the way until November at this point, other than workouts in between. So I got a little bit of taste of being a head coach, but it, just, it wasn't quite enough. The summer went by so quick this year. I, I can't wait to get started. I'm, find myself, I'm a teacher, so I'm not really doing a whole lot right now in the summer. So I'm constantly just kind of pacing around the house, drawing things up, trying to work things out and just doing everything I can to get us in a good situation so we can be successful. I'm going to be talking to my staff more than they want to hear from me, I'm sure, in their off season. But, like, I, I mean, I'm already thinking, like, gosh, we got to have a, we gotta have a, a coach's meeting tomorrow because I had this good idea. And it's I, – I can't wait to get started. I'm, it's, it's been tough just waiting for it. Well, congratulations, Coach. And uh, awesome that uh, you're getting this opportunity. Awesome that you're doing it in Burley. You know, like we've talked about, it, great basketball tradition there. And just want to tell you, have a good rest of summer and, and uh, good luck uh, next season. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Idaho Basketball Coaching Podcast. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email me at idahobasketballcoachingpodcast at gmail.com.